Well, good morning. So glad to be with all of you. My name is Zach Thompson, and I am on staff here at Calvary. And uh, it, we're having just the hardest time of figuring out where do people attend services. So sometimes the nine o'clock is really, really full, and then other times on uh, a day where there's an eleven o'clock Broncos game and uh, clocks got reset, a second service is just jam packed. It's fantastic. So you are keeping us guessing, and it is wonderful. But uh, so glad to be back with you all. Got the opportunity to go on a little vacation to, to see some, some friends and uh, folks that, that we didn't get a chance to say goodbye to when we left California this past January. Things were still very much so locked down. So you gave me the opportunity to get to go and see some friends that I hadn't seen in quite a long time. So thank you for that gift. And, and glad to have Matthew here and, and preaching the same gospel that we're getting week in and week out. So it, it was a really encouraging time for me and appreciate your, your prayers and your love that was feeling even from a distance. And now we get to come back and we got 46 verses that we need to cover. So buckle up. It's going to be fantastic. And there's some weeks where I'm sure that you are giving it to me, but just to make sure I am asking for grace because we're not going to be able to do that uh, verse by verse this week. Otherwise, we need to go about two hours and, and I don't think you want to give me that much time. So we'll just go an hour and a half instead. Uh, so this is all connected to this, this series that we've been in in the book of Hebrews, learning how Jesus is greater than anything else we might try to fill our lives with. Jesus is greater than anything else we might try to give our devotion or our worship to. And we've been learning lately how Jesus is a greater high priest. Now, in order to understand the significance of this, we needed to understand the importance of high priests. We talked about how we don't really have those anymore. So what's the big deal with these priests? Well, it was through this person that God's people could have access to God. It was through this one individual that they could have their sins covered. It was through them that they could quell this plea that's in every single person to be with our God. We are by design meant to be with him. That is how we were made to be. And so every person is a part that cries out, that pleads to have relationship with our good God who made us. And the high priest offered that. And so when a new high priest was given, this was the, their new hero, and, and people would stop what they were doing to see who is this person, who is this one who can give me access to God. This isn't some 18% voter turnout in the city of Denver last week. This is everyone stopping what they're doing to see who is this one who can now give me relationship with this God I so desperately crave to be with. But these were fallen men as well. And I don't mean uh, necessarily, I, I, I certainly do, I, I don't mean just those who took the power and authority of their position and used it for their own benefit or used it for evil, like we unfortunately see all too many people do. But even the best intending priests, those uh, with, with uh, the best desire to point people to God, well, they were broken themselves. They too were sinful. They too needed to be put in right standing with this God. This God who's so good and perfect and holy and just like us, the high priest with their actions and thoughts and emotions was so broken and sinful as well. So we look at the system and it's, it's a system that's broken by design, but we'll get to that point in a little bit. 
But we have this system to where there was the ability to cover for sins. And that was good. That's the point that the book of Hebrews has been building to this point. Uh, What God offered in the old covenant gave a way for sins to be covered. And that is good because all of us have this in our lives. All of us fall short of the standard of this perfect God. We all do the things that God tells us not to do. And we don't do the things that God tells us to do. That's what sin is. We all have this within us. We all fall short of that standard of God. And so we need a way for our sins to be covered. This was offered in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. And so that was a good thing. But there wasn't the ability to be made perfect There wasn't the power to avoid sin. There wasn't the power to choose anything else but just constantly doing these things that are so harmful and so damaging to us. That is how we are as people. That's our default position. Every single day of our life, we're like children on October 31st with a bag of candy in hand saying, what's the harm in eating one or two hundred pieces? (laughs) Well, we find out the harm the next day, right? then why do we ask that same question again the next year and the next year and the next year, let alone when the stakes are much more higher than just candy? That's our default position, just constantly having no other choice but to do these things that we know are damaging to us, and yet we do them over and over and over again. So while the old system had a way to cover sins, there wasn't the means to be perfected. Well, that was Hebrews chapter 7, where we learned all that. And then Matthew uh, last week showed us that Jesus as our high priest brings in this new way, this new covenant. And now we will continue that idea even further, that through this new covenant offered by Jesus as high priest, there is the means to be made perfected. Jesus is our great high priest. We've been talking about this. He intercedes for us always. He represents us to God always. He's able to save us completely uttermost is what we saw in Hebrews 7 and last week that he brings this new covenant with the great promises. And now in Hebrews chapter 9 through 10, 18, we will see the work of Jesus held uh, and shown how it's similar to the work of high priests before. Because what priests would do before, they had a place to work. They had blood that they would use to purify, that they would use to cover for sins and that they had a sacrifice to offer for that as well. And now we will see that Jesus, as our high priest, has a greater place. Jesus, as our high priest, has a greater blood. And Jesus, as our high priest, has a greater sacrifice. So we'll take all three of those in turn, but we will start with this, that Jesus is a great high priest of a greater place. Uh, Turn to Hebrews chapter 9, and we'll pick it up in verse 11. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. Here's what it says. It says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater, that word should always make us uh, bring to our attention, then through a greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands that is not of this creation. We'll stop it there. We'll pick up reading in just a little bit. So we, we hear this, that Jesus is going through a greater tent. 
And this should make us think of the tabernacle in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, that this was a tent, a place of worship where God's presence would be located, where people could have their sins covered and they could have access to their God in this one place. And this shouldn't just arbitrarily make us think of this, because if you read through uh, Hebrews uh, 9, 1 through 10, you get all kinds of details about the tabernacle in that section. And we don't really have time to go through all of those details of the tabernacle. Again, 46 verses. So instead, we're going to do this. Uh, grab your Bible and flip back to the book of Exodus, because I'm going to give you some homework. Yeah, I know, reading the Bible, doesn't that just sound awful? Ugh. But flip back to Exodus. Uh, go to Exodus chapter 25. And then once you're there, grab something, some sort of marker, something to put in your Bible here at Exodus 25, uh, because your homework is to read Exodus 25 through 27. It's three chapters. And the good news is for those in our women's Bible study, uh, that study just goes to chapter 18, so you don't already get to have credit for doing your homework. You still have to do it, just like everyone else. So in Exodus 25 through 27, you see all of the details of the tabernacle, this tent where God's presence would be, where people could worship God, and all the details of how it was to be arranged and what was to be in it and how things were to be positioned and, and the, the rituals that were to be done uh, in, in specific details by the priests. And here's why this matters. This section uh, is, is written on the assumption that you know what's going on in Exodus 25 through 27. It's written with the assumption that you know what the tabernacle is, what was done in it, and so it's building upon that. So I encourage you to read that as your homework, and let me just give you a little glimpse as to what you will see there. You'll see a lot of details, like quite a bit. Specific measurements that things were supposed to be, the specific type of material that each thing was to be made out of, uh, uh, rituals that the priests were to be, to be done in specific details, including their clothing, what that was to look like. It's very, very detailed as to what happens here. Now, I can just see the argument, because it's also my argument. Uh, these detailed sections of the Bible, they, they can sometimes be dull is the word that I'll go with. They're very tedious to read through at times. It's, it's wondering, like, what is going on with this God who almost arbitrarily seems to be demanding these things of people? Why is this so significant that we get pages of all these details? But it made me think of how we all appreciate the tedious details in other places, that sometimes the, the ritual is, is incredibly important to us. Uh, those of you who love cooking, which, by the way, you know how to get a hold of me if you ever want to share your gift, but those of you who love cooking, there's a lot of tedious ritual involved in that. You can't just throw things together at random times, at random stages, and, and hope it turns out great. No, instead, if you're doing something wonderful, it involves cutting things specifically. Otherwise, it might be too tough or, or too hard, or cutting things in, in specific sizes so that way it cooks evenly and you don't have burnt pieces and, and raw pieces in the same dish. There's even uh, ingredients that get put into food that to an untrained person might go unnoticed, but to someone who is putting thought behind it, into the ritual, the tedious details, it's, it makes it better. 
There's stages that things are added. There's lots of processes to keep track of at the same time. There is a lot of tedious detail to be maintained in order to present something that's wonderful. Those who enjoy making models or sewing, there's tedious detail there. Even the act of sitting down to read can have some sort of ritual, this, this attention to the details there. It's the, I mean, you got to have a warm beverage, right? You, you can't just do that without one. You got to find just the right spot in the chair that's most comfortable. You have the arduous task of picking just the perfect background music. And then it's uh, the, the smoothing out of a page and, and just the, the ritual that that has of getting started, the adjustment of things on a side table to be just right, all of this detail to be maintained before going into something as simple as reading. Or uh, preparation for sports has tedious detail, has ritual to it. The, the order of which you put on equipment the, the way that you warm up for it, a pregame meal. For me, I love just the repetition of taping a hockey stick. Just that simple process uh, before stepping onto the ice, it, it really settles me, it, it prepares me for it. We all have built within it uh, us uh, this love of ritual, this heart for details. Even those of us who have been accused of, of missing details in other areas, there, there are certain places where the details are of vital of importance to any and all of us. And so when we get to these detailed sections of the Bible, like in Exodus 25 through 27, it's not about cruelty. It's not uh, mundane. It's not just God giving us something to read that's dull, but it's actually a beautiful thing that God is giving to us. I love this correction from a commentator that I've been reading named George Guthrie. He just put this so beautifully. When, in talking about the details that go into the Old Testament worship, he says, but a more accurate reading of the forms and formalities of priestly worship shows us the love of a creator whose children have run into the night and cannot find their way home on their own. The tabernacle worship centers around and calls us to a movement towards God, a, a movement in which we celebrate his presence, living in awe of his majestic holiness. Since God placed the tabernacle at the center of Israel's existence, his presence in the midst of his people would seem to be at the center of God's plan. So the details that we come across in the Old Testament and in passages like this, they're actually, they're beautiful. We as a people are so forgetful, and so God gives details to place the tabernacle, the place of worship, this tent, in the very center of his people. So no matter what you're doing, it's always in sight, it's always in mind, it's always the reminder of our need for this God. We have it in us to think of God as less than, he's in, less than he is, to, to miss out on the otherworldliness of him. So all of these details are given. This specific craft is given to us so that we can be reminded of the grandeur of God. And then the most significant place of the tabernacle, the holy of holies, the most holy place that we've been talking about for a few weeks now together. This is the reminder of our separation from God that he loves us and cared for us and made us to be with him. But we have chosen rebellion, following after ourselves, and that causes a separation between us and him. So putting together this holy of holies, this most holy place, is the reminder of our need to bridge that gap, 
to be purified of these sins so that we could be once again in good standing with him. These rituals, these details that we come across here, they remind us of the need for this God in our lives, the significance of this relationship with him, and the difficulty of bridging that gap on our own, that we need to have these sins counted for and covered so that we can enter into right standing with him. And there are steps and procedures in order to do that to show us the depth of our sin and the significance of that. And yet something greater is on offer here. That Jesus goes to a greater place as our high priest. Uh, Look at uh, chapter 9, verse 24. It says, For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, so the tabernacle, the temple, not into that place, which are copies of the true things, but he enters into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Do you see what's going on here? So, so we just built up. These rituals are good things. They're beautiful. They remind us of what's needed to be done to enter into God's presence. They remind us of the significance of God. But Jesus does not need these rituals because ultimately they're flawed. It's sinful man uh, providing a way to, for sinful man to represent sinful man. But Jesus is perfect. Jesus has lived the sinless life that we were all called to, but we have failed drastically, but he goes and he provides a way for us to be connected to this God. As high priests before were the heroes because they allowed access to God. They represented the people to God. They made a way for people to be reconnected with this God who loves them and cared for them. Jesus does not need to go through any of the ritual because he has lived perfectly, because he is not entering into this one place on this world that's drenched in sin. Instead, Jesus is entering directly into the presence of God himself. The difference between what we're talking about in this old way and this new is that in this old way, it's essentially a phone call once a year. And in this new way, it's, it's being around someone all the time. The first is good. Being able to have that phone call, especially when the alternative is no communication whatsoever, that's a good thing. We would crave that conversation. We would look forward to that one phone call. But how much better is it to have access always? And we have that through Jesus, who is high priest of a greater place. Jesus is high priest of a greater blood as well. Uh, Let's return to verse 11, and we'll read it and past it this time. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 11 says this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? There is a lot there, uh, both in terms of content and just grammar. That sentence just seemed to go on. Uh, But here's what 
we are talking about. You see a lot of references, again, to the ritual of the Old Testament, sprinkling with blood, that everything needed to be sprinkled with blood. As you read through, uh, continue on in Hebrews chapter 9, you see that the books that were being read from in the tabernacle had to be sprinkled with blood, that the tabernacle itself was. All of those details that you will read about in Exodus 25 through 27, you are not getting out of your homework, by the way. Uh, All of those details that you come across in those chapters they had to have blood sprinkled on them as well. Why, though? Why is that the case? Look at chapter 9, verse 22. It says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything was purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So the Bible is wholly consistent on this point, that the cost of sin that we all have in our lives, that we all commit on a daily, hourly, sometime by minute, I don't know what the Lee version of that, minutely, minutely is what we'll go with, uh, by that, uh, that standard of time, by that set time, we are constantly sinning. We all have that in our life, and the cost, the Bible consistently says, is death that going against this good and holy and perfect God who has given us everything we have, well, the punishment for disobeying is death. Now, we all know very well that there are punishments for disobeying. We have uh, catchy phrases like click it or ticket. Uh, Or uh, what I would hear, maybe you guys were better kids than I was, what I would hear a lot as as a kid was, if you don't do your homework, well then, you can't do that thing with your friends. Or for those of us who uh, don't listen to our bosses, well, they're not going to be our boss for very long. And yet, what happens when you amplify it past the role that these uh, authoritative figures have in our lives, like authorities, like uh, parents, like, uh, like uh, supervisors? When we elevate that past the role of those authorities in our lives to the very one who gave us life, who gave us everything that we have, who gave us this world and everything in it, who called us to have dominion over this place that he had made, well, the punishment is amplified as well for disobeying. And the punishment is death. But God so loves us that he has provided a way for that punishment to be covered. And in the same way that it would be death for us if we were paying it on our own, it was death for something else. The punishment could be covered, death for a death. And so uh, what would happen is these animals, these bulls and goats would come, they would be killed, and, and the, the symbol of their death, this blood, would be used to purify everything. That death has gone before, that it's covered all of this stuff so that we could come before this God because a death has covered the sin that is so impacting all of these things, even the vessels of worship. So essentially, there is just blood everywhere. Now, I know this image is not the best one. In fact, this could seem so barbaric to us to have blood used in this way. It could be us looking back at them and thinking, oh, of course, this primitive society would do such a thing. But we, like, we are repulsed by this image of of blood being everywhere. Well, first I would say to that, uh, tell that to my neighbors and the decor they had up this past month. Uh, But the second part of that is, that's the point. The point is for us to look at this and be shocked 
The point is for us to see that this blood is placed everywhere and just recognize in doing that that this is what it takes for our sins to be covered. Humanity, our our sins are so impactful, they're so devastating to us that this is the cost of it. That to go before this holy God, even the things that would be touched by sinful humanity had to be purified as well. That to go and get coverings for our sins, even the very things that we used in getting those coverings for our sins had to be covered for our sins as well. That is how deep our sin is. That is how far we are separated from this God. That is how impactful sin is in our lives that the very things that we touch need covering for our sins as well. You see the depth and devastation of our sin in that. I could have had them do our reading for our our Bible passage as well. It sounded very good. It's much better than, than my reading is as well. So we see the depth of our sin throughout this, and that is the cost of this blood. That is why we see this placed everywhere. Every sin will be accounted for, whether with our lives or something else's. And God gave a way for our sins to be covered through the blood of bulls and goats, purifying everything. So how much more are we purified by the blood of Jesus? He isn't separate and different from us like these animals are from who we are, but he is like us in every way, able to be a perfect substitute, not a flawed one because they weren't like us. These these bulls and goats aren't like us. It is someone who is like us, who is able to step in in our place for us who, unlike them, hasn't had any morality, but Jesus has come and lived the perfect, sinless life for us that we were called to live to, but we fail constantly. So Jesus has come as a perfect sacrifice. And by his death, by him willingly going to pay that cost that we have earned, the cost of sin is death. So Jesus pays that cost. By him going and doing that, we have a greater blood blood that fully saves us. Not needing to be repeated year after year, but it's a once and for all sacrifice of himself that completely saves us. And before how everything needed to be purified, everything needed to have the blood of bulls and goats sprinkled on it. Jesus' death, this one once and for all event, completely satisfies our cost of sin that we have earned. He is high priest of a greater blood. And Jesus is high priest of a greater sacrifice. Look with me at uh, chapter 9, verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. So this Old Testament system, uh, this Old Covenant system, needed to have these sacrifices that were done. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Well, what is it that makes the sacrifice of Jesus, who uh, is both priest and sacrifice? What makes that better? Look at verse 26. We'll, We'll skip to the second half. It starts with, but as it is. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Once and for all all. 
We said before that this was uh, one time a year that the, the high priest would go and offer sacrifices, would offer the sprinkling of blood, would offer a way for people to be reconnected with God, that we so desperately need our plea of our lives is to know and be known by this God. And yet uh, what needed to happen was there were new sins each year, new sins that needed to be covered. So animals brought in, animals sacrifices, blood spilled, uh, blood sprinkled, sins covered, sins recommitted. And we had this image of showing the depth and severity of our sin because each time sin comes in, the cost just mounts and mounts. But Jesus comes with a once and for all sacrifice. But the ultimate way why Jesus is high priest of a greater sacrifice is chapter 10, verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible for the sacrifices, for the system before, to take away sins. Well, then what did we just spend all that time talking about blood for? We, we said that, that God gave a way for our sins to be covered, that everything we even come into contact with needs to be purified because of how deep and, and severe our sin is. So now we're saying that the, that doesn't take away sins? What, what's going on with this? Yes, it helps cover our sins, but it doesn't take away our sins. This feels like I might just be playing with words, so let me, let me use an illustration to try to describe what I mean. Uh, I've heard that there is this mythical thing called home ownership, and uh, with it, uh, it has a lot of benefits, but I've heard one of the drawbacks is that uh, repairs are fairly constant, and you can't just pawn them off on someone else anymore. Uh, and with this, th- there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes of a house. It's either enclosed in walls or, or just out of sight, uh, and we might miss it. Maybe a pipe burst or there was flooding earlier, and we don't see how severe it was because part of it was hidden from us, or uh, the foundation's off and, and that's causing damages, uh, or maybe some critters saw how much we were enjoying living there, and so they thought, hey, let's give it a shot too. Uh, there, there's all kinds of reasons, but one of the most common ones with homes built primarily out of wood, is, is uh, rotten wood. And, and so imagine this situation. We, we have this situation to where we, it's been brought to our attention that this wood is rotten. Maybe, maybe uh, it's become exposed, something like that. And there's a few different solutions we could take to try to address it. Uh, the most simple and easiest way is to paint over it. We said a lot of it happens out of sight, so let's just get this thing out of our sight. But it's not a permanent solution. Maybe the rot will spread or the paint doesn't adhere to it very well or or pieces will continue to crumble off of it and just continuing to paint over it, well, that's not going to address the deeper issue because maybe the rot then spreads even more or maybe it was the sign of some leak that was happening there that we didn't address or maybe it's a support uh, beam and now it's not supporting anything and the whole thing's going to collapse. That's what we're talking about here. God gave a way to cover sin, for it to be dealt with, for it to be addressed. But it wasn't a permanent solution. It continually needed to be done and redone over and over to address the situation. And yet it's not fully going to address the situation. It's not getting to the heart of the issue. What we need is for that beam to be completely removed and have a new pure one put in its place. And that is what's on offer in Jesus. 
Jesus comes not to give us a way to just cover sins, but to remove this, this sin nature from us, to remove the rot that's in all of us, not just painting over it to, as a way to cover it, but actually to take away our sins as well. Look at chapter 10, verse 14. It says, For by a single offering, by his death, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who have been sanctified. See, the system was flawed by design. It needed to happen time and time again. It needed constant covering for sin. And this isn't because God learned his lesson in it. It's not because God realized the mistake. It's not that God was unable to deal with our sin problem before. It's that we are unable to realize the depth and severity of our sin problem. So God gave a way to show what covering of sin looks like, and it's constant, and it's frequently just putting more and more paint on rotten wood until we realize this will never be enough. Try as we might, we can never get to a point where our works, our efforts, or any sort of things to cover sin will ever be enough to truly address the issue. So God became like us in every way, made low like us in every way, yet without sin, to come and deal, to address with the true issue, to take away the brokenness that's within us, to replace it with something new and fresh that was pure and undefiled because he has come to be that better sacrifice. He has come to be that better blood, to free us from the constant need to go back to these things that are so damaging and harmful to us. My chains are gone. I have been set free. This is tremendous news for those of us who realize the depth of our sin, who see just how far gone we are from this God who loved us and cared for us. How often we do the things God tells us not to do, but we don't do the things he tells us to do. When we see our sin, when we see the rot within us, and we hear of a new replacement being brought in, that is just the cause for rejoicing. But I think this is a miss for us more often than not. I think we are too comfortable with forgiveness. We're too used to it. We talk about it all the time in the church. And so when we hear someone say, ah, you're forgiven by Jesus. Yeah, I know. But I think we're that way because we're too comfortable with sin. We're used to it. And we say, like, ah, it's just something that all of us do. So, so why can't God just deal with it? Why can't he just get over this? It's, it's not a big deal. We say that, that uh, it's so common that all of us are doing All of us are going against God's plan. So, I mean, maybe it's God's plan that needs to change. But here is where we need to see that our sin is more damaging to us than we realize. Yes, it is going against God's plan that God has for us and he's good and perfect and has every right to say what we are to do because he has given us our very lives. But it's also damaging to us that God doesn't give us limitations to stop us from being our free and true selves, but he gives us a way to be freed from the constancy of sin. He gives us a way to do anything but just constantly doing that what is so damaging to us than to just be a child on another October 31st with no other plan but to indulge, overindulge in candy again and again and again. 
And we who think that we know better, we try to be the gods of our own lives, and yet we prove to be poor gods constantly, not knowing why, knowing that we are going down a path that's going to harm us, knowing that last time we did this, it did not turn out well for anyone, and yet here we are doing it again. And so we come up with plans. We say, oh, this year I'm going to be better. I'm going to explode in anger less. I'm going to uh, be a a kinder person. I'm going to do this thing less. I'm going to do this thing more instead. And so we set the standard for our life, and yet we fall short of that standard that we set, let alone the standard of a perfect God who has loved us and cared for us and sought us out providing a way for covering of sin. Okay, so we just constantly sin, and that's not sufficient anymore. So we can't trust this old system. We can't trust ourselves, but we can trust in Jesus. We can trust in Jesus who is perfect, that he has provided a way to be the perfect substitute for our death. We can trust in Jesus who is eternal, that has offered a once and for all sacrifice to cover our sins, that they have been dealt with. But it's more than just a covering of sins. It's doing away with the very rottenness that's within all of us. This habit, this constantly, this frequently going back to these sins that we know are damaging from us, Jesus has provided a way for us to be perfected. Not perfect, we are still struggling with this, but he has provided a way for us to be freed from the shackles and bondage of sin. He, in his role as high priest in this better place, has offered us access to God always. He, has, as high priest of a better sacrifice, has provided the way for our sins to be dealt with once and for all. He, as high priest of a greater blood, has offered that blood that gives us life. I know all this talk of blood and death is certainly not pleasant. It's something that we don't want to be talking about. And the idea of of gathering around uh, concerning about one person's death, it, it feels so barbaric. It feels so strange to do that. But when we see what has been done for us because of that death, when we see the life that's been given, when we see the freedom that comes by Jesus' death so that we can live for anything other than constantly being shackled to sin, it is certainly a cause for celebration. And one of the ways that we celebrate that together is through communion. If you hadn't had an opportunity yet to grab one of these cups, I encourage you to do so. There's a few on the table in the back, a couple more out in the lobby. Uh, We celebrate communion together to reflect on the death of Jesus, that there are two elements to this, a a wafer or cracker that symbolizes the, the body of Jesus, that sacrifice that he has done, dying the death that should have been ours, paying the price not just to cover our sins, but to take them away as well. And we celebrate on the other side with juice, the cup, the blood of Jesus that we've been talking about, that the depth of our sin requires that everything we come in contact with be purified with blood, and yet we have been given this greater blood by Jesus that so uh, perfectly purifies us, that so perfectly covers our sin, that we come and we celebrate that together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, he was having a meal with his disciples 
And while he was there, he took the bread that was on the table and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after taking the bread, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is a new covenant by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful that you have come and you have met this need that we could not meet ourselves that we are constantly going against you, constantly needing covering of our sin, and yet just putting more tape on, uh, paint on that wood, that's not going to address the issue. So you have come to be like us in every way but without sin, offering a once and for all sacrifice, offering a better blood that purifies us completely because you have been so perfect, because you are so eternal because you are so loving of us. So as we come and we look at the cost that was paid, your body broken, your blood spilled, let us recognize even more so that it's a picture of your love for us, that we who have rebelled, we who thought that we could do your role better, we who do not see the impact of our sin, you have still gone and paid that price so that we could be with you, that the plea that's in all of us to know and be known by you can be met. Let us never grow used to the cost of the forgiveness you gave us. Let us not think of it flippantly, but you have done what we could not so that we could be with you. So it's to you and you alone we pray.